to another episode of Brocephus and Friends. I'm your host, Brocephus. And this week, I'm excited to have Dr. Zadonna Slate. Um, Dr. Slate, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Um, and for those who don't know, who in the world is Dr. Zadonna Slate? Tell us a little bit about who you are. I am a proud Savannah, Georgia native who is now a Kentuckian, um, and I am an instructor in the College of Social Work. I've been here for about a year and a half, going on two years now, um, where I teach classes um, more so in the macro realm of social work, the things that you wouldn't think social work is as it relates to how do we know that what we're doing is effective in program evaluation, taking a look at social justice issues, um, and also policy, um, how policy guides and directs us um, in the work that we do, but also when we're frustrated, how can we make the change necessary? So that's who I am uh, professionally. In my spare time, I'm a pop culture addict, so I love watching TV and staying up on the latest uh, celebrity gossip, and I also enjoy taking uh, Pilates classes. And I also play the flute. So I do play the flute in the in a local community band. Ooh, what 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 uh community? What um it's the Richmond Community Band. Uh excuse me, it's, sorry, it's the Madison County Community Band. Um that's the correct name of it. You know, that's in the the flute. Um I have someone at church, the reason I ask is someone at church is in a flute thing. That is so impressive how they have it's like a it's a full band of just flutes. It's so impressive. Oh yes. I um thought about joining them, but their rehearsal dates and timings and everything, and I was like, uh, I don't, you know, but I saw so instead I'm I'm with an entire band of um percussion, saxophone, oboe, clarinets, like everyone. And I it's it's a way for me to just kind of disconnect from the chaos of the world. Yeah. And I used to play in church growing up as well. Oh, that's so good. Um, and so kind of going into that of, of that of that um, disconnect of like, um, so uh, to those who are listening, uh, this topic, what we're going to talk about today is going to be a little bit heavier than what we normally talk about. And so I encourage you, if this is a gets a little heavy, feel free to pause um, and just sort of like take a break from it and come back to it because, you know, as you say in your class, think we can social justice issues and, and issues can be a little heavy. And so being able to maybe go and get away from it for a while and then come back um, is, is, is a good thing to do uh, every once in a while. And so um, what we're going to be talking about today is racism and the church. And so um, I just want maybe just take a few minutes and say, you know, how have you seen, have you seen racism and the church? Um, no, not directly. And so just a little bit of background um, as it relates to my position in the church and in, in my association with, with church uh, for the listeners, I grew up uh, Black Baptist, Black Southern Baptist in the thick mm -hmm. of the Bible Belt, being from uh, Savannah, Georgia. And um, so that really has been the primary introduction to faith 
and religion and spirituality and church for me. But I also went to a seven day Adventist uh, private school and would worship with seven day Adventist as well. Mm -hmm. So um, in that regard, and I, um, one school was predominantly black, another school was uh, predominantly white. So I have seen both aspects of it. Um, but um, just, so just in terms of that context, so in terms of um, experiencing racism or seeing it play out, I have not. Um, but also I don't want to shy away from being born and raised in Savannah and knowing that Savannah right on the port of Georgia um, had a very instrumental part in slavery. Mm. And so there are some churches or actually one church in particular in Savannah that was um, home to the Underground Railroad. And if you go on a tour today, they will still show you where the uh, runaway slaves uh, came in, um, how they were, you know, how they were, you know, kind of held until they were able to continue passing on in the Underground Railroad. Um, and, you know, not knowing I would end up here in Kentucky, which is the northern part of the Underground Railroad, where they escaped to go into Ohio mm. for freedom. So think about that. So yeah, so to say yeah. that, so I have not seen it, but it's definitely something that we have talked about in the black church just mm. simply because of the, the role the black church has played in fighting racism. Yeah, that, that is so good. Um, talk a little bit about why is it important um, to talk about racial reconciliation and i even heard it the another way in the in i've heard it in church culture taking the wreck away and just saying conciliation because i i've heard that like from that takes it back to eden but why is it important to talk about racial reconciliation in the church the church for so many and especially in the black community the church has been this safe haven, mm. um, but it was also a place for answers, whether or not for some believe that answer came from God, uh, from Jesus, um, as the, you know, the lessons that were taught through the Bible for mm. me growing up in Sunday school, going to vacation Bible school, you know, so we're taught those things to be able to get those answers, to be in prayer, to fast, wait for an answer, listen, and um, or by way of the reverence we have for a reverent, you know, uh, a pastor of a church, the, the reverence we have to know that they are a leader, um, someone who who can be able to provide some sort of order. So I say all that to say the, the church has kind of been that cornerstone to be able to have that place to vent, talk, pray about it, practice forgiveness. So it's only it's a chance for us to practice. And so whether or not it's reconciliation or conciliation, wherever it may be, but it gives us that that ability to, you know, what does it mean to turn the other cheek? What does it mean mm -hmm. to love thy neighbor, no matter how they they've been treated? And, you know, although it's a. You know, it's a name that I think sometimes we may overuse in examples but, you know, I, I think that Reverend Martin Luther King, a great point of reference, is someone who taught us how, as a pastor, you can talk about racial reconciliation or conciliation and also live it in the work that you do as it relates to social justice. Yes. 
Yes. And uh, I want to, I want to, I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was something about in class. I brought up a question. Maybe you could, um, but it was something about conflict. There was some, I said a question. I can't remember what it was, but it was something about can conflict and maybe can something in conflict um, coexist? Do you remember what that was? Oh, yes. Um, it was, it was a really good question because it, it, you made me sit with it. Like for those of you who are listening, uh, our, our host will sit in class and absorb everything. And when he comes with a question, it's one of those questions that I have to sit back and make and, and think like, oh my gosh, this is not just a simple question of what did they, what did the author mean in the reading? You really give some reflective questions. So kudos to you for that. But, um, but I think it was like how, how conflict and maybe, maybe you did say like, like reconciliation, like, can they coexist? Like, yeah, because you were talking about we were talking about like like fighting and having that tension of like I think it was I think it was yeah because in my answer I remember talking about a little bit about civil discourse and mm -hmm. being able to have those crucial conversations which is the you know that that book that I recommended in class that I kind of talked about how you can how they they do coexist because you know when you think about the two opposite sides we think about our political system. You know, we are steadfast in our beliefs. Or you think about two religions, we're steadfast in our belief. And how dare I break away from what I've been taught, what I've been exposed to, and what I know. And so someone is not, you know, someone is going to have to get to a point of, okay, do I compromise? Mm -hmm. Do I avoid? Um, do I just keep the conflict going and, you know, just don't hear anyone out? Or do I find ways that I could kind of collaborate? Yeah. Um and meet in the middle so yeah that that was good and, and you also brought up example about uh talk about your a little bit about your best friend um one of your best white friends um who is a republican um, i probably gave it away but 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 you but speak maybe a little bit or say that in your own words yes so you know a, a part of life for me. And one thing I could appreciate about my mom, she made sure, and my mom and dad, they made sure that I had a really good understanding of history mm. and explained and exposed things to me um, about race, about identity, um, about what it's like to just be a woman in society and, you know, learning, you know, from the very beginning, learning about, you know, the things we learn, good touch, bad touch, you know, Go, you know, find a trusted adult, all those things that were taught as a kid. But the one thing my mom wanted to make sure that I also had an understanding of was the diversity that exists in our world. And my mom is also a social worker. And so I think that that diversity piece was always big for her in understanding other cultures. And so whether or not it was through education, my schooling, um, I was a member of Girl Scouts. Um, so whatever I did in the community growing up, you know, like I said, band, doing ballet, whatever it was, it was always to seek friendships with any and everyone, you know, they are your brother and sister in Christ. Yeah. And so, um, in high school, one of the organizations I joined 
um, was a very diverse mix of high schoolers, 10th through 12th grade. And out of that, we really treated each other the way the program was groomed. It was almost like a family structure, mm-hmm. everyone's brother or sister. And although we talked about youth issues, um, real life matters, um, like we talked about like underage drinking and um, and how easy, accessible it was to buy alcohol at a young age or maybe cigarettes. And we talked with the, you know, police force and sheriff's office to really get them to, you know, be strong about that. We talked about youth games. When 9-11 hit, we were in high school. And mm-hmm. so we had no idea what was happening to our world and how that would change everything. Um, and so being able to talk about that but you would realize that how a person was raised, they had different views on it mm. um, based on how our government should provide or not provide. And yeah. we didn't know any better because that's just what we heard our parents say. Mm-hmm. Um, but out of that, to be able to have those conversations just to say, well, why do you say it like that? Why do you think about that? Mm. Why is it like that? And doing it in a way, because I'm comfortable with this person, I can ask for understanding and not ask to have a defense mechanism up, like they're just asking to mock me or in a distrustworthy, uh, an untrustworthy way. And so out of that, like I said, one of my bestest, I call him my brother now. Matter of fact, we text yesterday um, again. Um, and I meant to ask if he still uh, identifies as a Republican, because I know so much has changed in the mm. last four years of, yeah. of, of life. But Back then, um, roughly about 20 so years ago, he was, you know, a Republican um, at that time and had different viewpoints on things. But at the same time, we could agree to disagree on certain matters. But at the same time, the more that he saw disparity, the more that he saw marginalized groups happening, the more he wanted to get invested and work and learn. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that's that's fundamentally what should be happening. I may have some very traditional norms and values, you know, because of how my religion and spirituality plays into it or how I was taught, but that's me in the world of Dr. Zadonna Slay. Mm. I can't impose that on anyone else. All I can do is understand and meet them where they are. If they're ready to grow, let's grow. If they're not, I have to accept and love them for who they are. Yes. You know, I said I said this before, but I love this image of so uh, Mark Lowry um, every year for Christmas. He would get a Christmas card from Tony Campolo and Jerry Falwell and both loved Jesus, but both came to diabolically different conclusions about political in the political realm. And I I think that is such a just such a beautiful image of. You have two people who love Jesus so much, but yet we can, that's one thing that, especially as Christians, that's one thing that can bring us together, that we can find middle ground. And so when having these conversations, um, you know, where would you start? Like when you were, when we're talking to someone who may not agree, would you, how would you start a conversation? Would you start with middle ground or how would you go about starting a conversation? Um, see that, see, see what I mean by those tough questions <laughs> that's asked. <laughs> um, actually it's not the middle ground. Uh. 
I think for me, it's the foundation. Before we could get to the middle, it's always, I always think of everything as like building a house. Mm. Before you can get that frame up, that foundation has to be poured and laid and dried and everything built up, however that is. Um, and so for me, it's that foundation. So if we're talking about um, gun violence, for example, and access to guns and, and what's happening with gun laws, you know, what, you know, it's just really understanding what the current gun laws is, what is their interpretation of the Second Amendment, um, and just really understanding what that is. And you can find out that that story, they may have had a loved one to die from gun violence. Mm -hmm. um, they may have had a, a loved one um, um, die by suicide due to gun violence, so uh, due to access to a gun. So it could be so many things. And then that helps you get that common ground of, aha, now I see why you feel that way or what you may have been taught about it or mm. what you may have learned about it that may or may not be true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, sort of going on a different topic, a different realm. You know, in today's culture, we um, mega churches are are becoming very popular uh, nowadays and um, just, you know, that the culture. And so I just, uh, I think of a church, um, C.C. Wines Church. I cannot remember the name of it, but it's in Nashville. Yes. I just get ready to say in Tennessee. Yes. I cannot think of the name, but, um, but they have a church that is very multi diverse church. And so, with the age of um, mega churches and bigger churches, do you see that um, that there seems to be more unity? And and you know, and why do you think that is? So you know, I'm going to be a realist. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's unity, or if because it's a mega church and they have more access to resources i don't know if it's the ability to control the narrative very similar mm. to what we talk about in class about how media controls what we may know or not know about certain topics you know mm. the war is still happening in ukraine unfortunately but we may not hear updates or see updates as much as we did when it first started Brittany griner is still imprisoned in Russia. You know, that's not going to come up as a as a headline news. So the media controls it. So when you have the resources and the technology and mm. the, the influence as a CC Winans versus a Dr. Zadonna Slay, I, you know, is that in how do you use that influence? So mm. so, so I say all that not to bash and say that there is no unity. Right. These things to just say, I don't know. Because, you know, be, for one, because I'm not a member, sure, of, you know, of a of a um, mega church. Although I do, you know, I will listen to a sermon. I will, you know, on YouTube, pull it up really quickly, and you know, if I'm, you know, needing something to just kind of give me that push to get through the week. But yeah, but in terms of like really understanding how they function, operate, that's a very long answer to say I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that 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 is good because um, because I think 
we I think of a song I think of songs especially and and unity services and they they're really good but what happens after that unity service of like how can we impact how can we do that not just on one Sunday but how can that be like something that we try to do every every day but even especially in talking about church culture of like being able to say that that happens here but how can we how can we practically bring that you know in our in our backyard in our community and you know i think it is important um because you know yeah <laughs> uh, that's good so um let's see. sort of get up maybe take a little pause from the heaviness and ask this question i love to ask this question to every everybody and so uh -oh. if you knew if you knew you could not fail and what job would you have so i saw that question and i said hmm that's a tough one and I was trying to think of something very poignant to say, something that I really wanted to do if I could do it all over again. But you know what? There, I really wouldn't do anything over again. It was still being, it, it would still be doing the same community mm -hmm. development, community organizing work that I'm still doing now. Mm -hmm. Now, although I'm not doing it full time since I'm in higher education, but it's a part of me giving of myself um, is something that I've learned through scripture, giving of my time and my talents. Mm. And, you know, and also it's the, the three T's, tithing, time and talents, you know, yeah. so, so giving of that. And so for me to be able to do that in all that I do, so whether or not it's working in the community, doing some projects, consulting, doing program evaluation, doing grant writing, those are all the things that I love to do as a practicing social worker, but now that I'm in an academic space, it's taking those times out to mentor with students, mm -hmm. um, help them see how social work could play a part in who they want to be when they grow up to let you know that um, we all make mistakes, but don't dwell in it. How do we grow mm -hmm. from it? You know, we're all going to trip up over the way. And I was thankful for those moments when I did trip up, when I didn't want to do it, when I fought, when I threw a temper tantrum, I had those, I call them my village, you know, our guardian angels on earth. I had them to pull my coattail, catch me when I fall, catch my tears um, and say, you can do this. So, yeah, so that I, I would I wouldn't change a thing. I would still do what I'm doing now. You know, that reminds me. I love the quote turtle on a fence post. A turtle does not get on a fence post by itself. Someone has to help the turtle on a fence post. And we are all, we are all um, people who, we are all turtles that have got on a fence post because someone has helped us up there. And so who have been some of those people for you who have helped you on the fence post? Oh my gosh. I can't start naming names because if I do, I'm going to leave someone out. Yeah. But um, I will definitely say my mom mm -hmm. for one. Um Again, I was taught social work through her, you know, so I tried not to be a social worker. She told me not to major in social work. And here I am three degrees later in social work. 
um, living out her her dreams that she had in the profession, you know. Mm. So I would always I always start out with my mom. Um, and then I've had some mentors along the way, um, former professors. Like I said, I don't want to start calling names, but mentors, professors, um, my grandparents, my godparents who have been there. And, you know, I always I, I tell students, your mentors, our mentors does not have to be just one person. Mm-hmm. I always say get an advisory board of people. You know, I know that perhaps um, Michelle Obama will never know who I am, you know, mm. but she's someone who I look up to, mm-hmm. um, she's someone who I could relate to in reading her her story, her book, just as much as Misty Copeland. I love Misty Copeland and actually had, well, I shared with class, had the pleasure of meeting her and Boo Who Cried because I can relate to her story and how ballet humbled her, how ballet gave her the discipline. And I think about, you know, what ballet did for me growing up. Um, and so I, I, so those people who I'll never know, but I consider them as someone I look up to. But then there are also um, mentors who I've reached out and asked. I've seen them in a meeting and asked like, hey, can you mentor me? Can we go to lunch? Can we grab coffee? I want to learn more about you. And then I also have peers. We hold each other up. We keep mm-hmm. each other accountable. And if you're going to be a yes person to me, then are you really a friend? Are you really someone who could, who could get me off the post as a, is that, that's what I'm supposed to be as a turtle? Get me off the post, mm. get me along the post <laughs> to, to move, you know, if you're going to do that and we both, and if we're going to both be two turtles on the post, then we're not helping each other at all. Mm. You know, um, yeah. now granted, sometimes when my friends don't tell me, yes, I, I, I throw it to, I'm very dramatic. I could throw a temper tantrum. Um, <laughs> And say no, I don't want to, but I know, doing, I know that they're doing it for, mm-hmm. for, for me to grow, and I just need someone to talk some sense into me. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. That it, that is because we, I I I love that because um, I even think about people, you know, who who say yes, and 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 then that you know that's thinking about that's all that they they don't give you any you know I think about grace and truth a lot of times when I think about that of like if you're all grace you all all you're going to say is yes that's oh that's so good and if you're all truth you're all going to be like I can't believe you do that I can't but having them both and realizing that they both come together so beautifully because it's not just saying yes and giving, but it's also given the hard things when people need it, but not necessarily want it. And so that that is so good. Um, I want to talk a little bit about. I heard this question um, somewhere, and I, I loved it about um, how. What are some practical ways that we can invite people into our lives, um, especially people that who may not look like us, and not make them a project. Ooh, not making them a project. Now that's I, 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 I want to sit with that part for for a minute because I really think it's how you approach a person. Mm. Are you approaching them as your genuine self? Mm. Um, and do you know what it means to be genuine? Some people just simply do not know 
how mm -hmm. to be genuine because they are trying to meet others' expectations mm -hmm. or they haven't sat with themselves to forgive themselves, to know who they are. Um, and it, it takes that. It's a continual process for sure. Um, so are you doing it as you're showing up and being your true, genuine self? And do you find a point of connection with someone? You can, I can find a point of connection probably with every single one of you in that class. Mm. And if I don't, then I have not done my job, you know, but mm -hmm. I can find a point of connection with you all because everyone learns differently. Everyone understands differently. Everyone's unique in their own way. And so I think just doing it from that genuine way and finding one point of connection, you never know how that grooms mm. and becomes a, a, you know, a lifelong friendship, like me and my brother from another mother. Yeah, our, both of our moms are named Carolyn. So we truly, <laughs> you know, it's like, what is your Carolyn up to? What's my Carolyn up to, you know? So yeah. really, and it, and it grows from that just by saying, oh, our moms have the same first name. Okay. <laughs> and just growing from that. So even if it's a very small thing like that or saying, oh, I both love sweet tea whatever it may be and how that sparks a conversation and also being comfortable with the phrase. I never meet a stranger. You know, I could spark conversation up with someone, um, anyone while I'm in the line when the pandemic first hit and we were all quarantined, mm -hmm. you know, I was living, I live by, uh, by myself. And I remember those moments when I could go to the grocery store, I was so excited to see a cashier. Mm. I would just hold up the line talking that <laughs> human interaction you know like how are you today and sometimes just asking someone how are you today i mm. like your pair of shoes now yes you might get a strange look but sometimes it will i don't know if you've ever seen the social media posts lately people will walk around and give someone a hug or ask someone if they have a dollar to spare and they end up giving them a check for a thousand dollars or something yeah. back at the end of it yes yes it's those sorts of things of just you know i'm not saying go around and give people hundred, you know, thousands of dollars, but it's how do you just pay that compliment or just ask someone, mm -hmm. how are you doing? And sometimes we just say, I'm fine. And we keep going. Yeah. And sometimes um, when I know someone is hurting or grieving um, or even for you all, you just finished midterms. And I say, you know, how's everyone feeling today? And everyone's like, fine. No, are you really fine? Midterms mm -hmm. just beat you all up. Like really Tell me how you're really feeling. Um, I, 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 if, if you could just connect with someone and say, no, tell me how you're really feeling because you know that they're going through something. Mm -hmm. Again, that's being genuine. Yes. You know, that that is so good. Um, I for, there was a psychologist that came to talk to uh, the people at uh, CSF a couple of weeks ago, and, and her topic was on friendship. And so one of the things she said was that my, if, I mean, obviously, you know, counseling is, is one of, is one of the greatest things I think, you know, we can give ourselves, but she was saying that, um, that if people had friends and this may sound a little harsh, but this is not, don't shoot the messenger. This is what she, <laughs> but she said that if people actually had friends, 90% of what I did, I would not do anymore because people are coming and paying me to be a friend. And so um, what, you know, how, 
so I, I think that is good. And so sort of bringing it to the church of like, if, if a new couple comes in to a church and, and they may be, you know, how, what does that look like? Because, you know, people tend to flock, even just new people, not even people that don't look like them. People tend to flock to people they don't know. Um, or uh, sometimes. And so how do you address that of like, do you invite them out to a meal? What, what does that look like? You know, I think in a day of technology, we've grown away from the going out for a meal, going out for coffee. It's now when you meet someone, are you on Facebook? What's your Instagram name? Are you on Twitter? And that's how we connect with someone and move on. And it becomes very interpersonal. I'm the person who I will still mail a card. Matter of fact, I have some cards on my table, coffee table that I need to mail out. I'm the one that will still, I have a basket full of cards. People call me a little old lady. Mm -hmm. I have an old soul. Um, And I will still mail a card. Something about getting that piece in the mail and opening up a card and see someone that took the time to hand write, Mm -hmm. thinking of you, get well soon, my condolences. Um, And maybe put in a gift card, you know, can never go wrong with Starbucks, Um, you know, something like that. Um, So I think you have to find what works for you, Mm -hmm. Um, especially now that we're thinking of the younger millennials, Mm -hmm. Gen Z, you know, so it might be technology is how you form those groups, um, how you might have a group chat or a... um, you know, a group me. It's like, hey, I think there's a group that you would really benefit from. Um, you know, come come join this with me and, you know, and show, you know, how that may be a, a way of connection. Um, only because we have these these different things of, of what we could do. But I think whatever it is, whatever that point of reference is, as you do it, you do it in a way that it can also benefit and heal you. Mm. It's not it's a mutual exchange. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by, by that, a mutual exchange. Mm-hmm. We, we Sometimes we may foster these friendships, our acquaintances, our associateships, where someone may just use. Um, and sometimes that could be it, like, hey, I need you to review my resume. Can you give me some feedback? But if I call and ask for something later down the line, will you, you know, return that favor? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't always have to be an exchange. I mean, it could just be listening to me crown the phone or sending that card. It doesn't always have to be a tip for tat of what we do, but some sort of mutual benefit or exchanges just to say that you showed up, you Mm -hmm. were there. So as long as something like that could happen, because any sort of relationship is a mutual exchange um, and it's not tearing away at you or stripping you of the goodness of your heart and it's not compromising your morals and values. Cause that's the other thing you, you have that friend and you end up, you start doing other things that, you know, you get away from who you were. Mm. or who you are, you know, so those sorts of things happen too. Mm. Yes. Um, so, um, um, you know, we talk about in the church, um, we talk a lot about heaven. And, um, and so, you know, perfection to, you know, what we, what we talk about and what we believe is that heaven is the ultimate thing is, is the finish line. But 
what does what does restitution look like? What does reconciliation look like this side of heaven? That can, was another hard question. Can we full? I mean, what does you know? What can we can we fully? Can we fully be reconciled here, or is that something that we have to wait till we get to heaven? I have so many thoughts about that. Only because like I, I went all over the place. I was like, uh, how do I not be controversial when I say this? Yeah. Well, you could be controversial. I mean, you, uh -oh. you can, I, 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 don't, I don't want you to lose any loose. I don't want you to lose any listeners because of me. Oh. <laughs> um. So, and, I, and I'm saying this very collectively. I'm saying this as a society of where we are. Mm -hmm. As of October 28th, 2022, um, on the day of this recording of where we are right now. And I think about um, what we do at the start of each class, talking about current events mm -hmm. and what's going on in the world. Until we as a society, and I mean collectively, if everyone could take our Social Justice Foundations class, it doesn't have to be taught by me. But if everyone could take a class like what you are taking right now then we can move to restitution and reconciliation. But we as a society, we are not willing to do the work. We are not willing to put the same emphasis on things. Um, you know, with we've been talking about Kanye in class and mm -hmm. there's so many opinions about that. But yeah. one thing that really sat heavy with me this past week he could say something, and this was a few months ago, he could say something like slavery was a choice and not have any pushback mm. or held accountable. You know, there was a, a little outcry and wash our hands and move on to the next thing, you know? Mm. But it wasn't until he said those anti-Semitic um, comments for it to really trigger. You know, why, you know, the same emphasis we should all put on our disenfranchised, our marginalized groups, mm. um, just as much as we would the LGBTQ population, just as much as we would as we talk about ableism in class, everyone should have that same emphasis. We are all going through, you know, as we talk about intersectionality, the more points of reference I have, the harder it is for me to get restitution mm. or for me to receive reconciliation because I'm frowned upon because I may be without a home. Mm. And I may be on the street corner. You know, we talked about that, locking the doors when we pull up at the red light, you know, the danger in a single story. So mm. until we're able to reflect with that, until we're able to see those points of what, what does it mean to do common good? You know, I don't mm. hear people talk about, oh, I did my good deed for the day. That's something that I used to always strive for oh let's do a good deed for today even if it's just holding the door open mm. we don't take and i say that collectively that we don't um i just don't i don't hear those warm fuzzies as much on the news as we're talking about kanye as we're talking about wars as we're talking about nancy pelosi's husband who was brutally attacked in his home Mm. Um, last night, you know, as we talk about all of these things, the election, all these things that's coming up, but we don't get those warm, fuzzy moments. I was very happy to see what Coach Cal did for the coal miner. 
um, in Kentucky. I don't know if you saw that story. That really brought that level of humanity back. But if we could just dwell and sit in humanity, that uh, human kindness, what it means to be kind to our fellow humans, mm. um, then we can move to that. Are we are we moving the needle? Absolutely. 2020 was pivotal. Yes. 2020 was pivotal. When I saw my 80-year-old mentor take a knee at a protest, because I, was, I, I wasn't going to a protest. I was like, no, I'm not going. But when I saw my 80-year-old mentor take a knee at a protest, and I knew that he was the first to integrate a college back in the 60s, mm. excuse me, the 50s, mm. and he was a part of civil rights movement, and he's fighting this fight still at the age of 80, I had to do something, mm. you know? Um to show up and and I did a protest with my students, black and white. We all showed up and we did a protest together. You know, we we yes. marched um, back then. And so we are moving the needle, but we have to continue to move the needle. We just can't get comfortable mm -hmm. because, because George Floyd murderers were convicted and we can get back. No, it's still, we still have to do the work. And it's with what you're doing through your platform with this podcast. It's what we're doing as we're learning in class and how you're going to infuse social justice in your professions. It's what we're doing by getting outside of our comfort zone and me moving to Kentucky. You know, I would have never thought I would move to Kentucky. You know, it's, it's taking those small steps to move the needle. If we continue to do that, um, then I think we have a better understanding. Again, going back to what I said earlier about that foundation of what, what does reconciliation mean? fundamentally on that foundation level and what does restitution truly mean and what does that look like mm. so it might not be a, a big check for everyone but it's to be viewed as a 100 human that's so good um you know i can't remember if you said it in your class it's interesting because on tuesdays i have your class is the social justice foundations and then right after that i have social welfare policy and so they both when one talks about one subject the other one is not far from behind or they may be in the same class and so that's interesting so i can't remember if you said it or if the other professor said it but someone said that rec that um I forget, was it, it was something of, um, I think it was reconciliation is, is a journey, but it's also a destination. Ooh. So, so having that thing of like, yes, we are moving two steps forward and we sometimes we're moving two steps back, but also realizing that this is a, this is a destination that we're getting to as well, that. Um, that we can have that process of, yeah, we are we're we can tend to come come make so, so many new strides and then go back a little bit of ways, but know that there is a destination that we're going to as well. Um, so I think that I, I love that uh, line. And so, um, in closing today, as we close, what is something that you would encourage the people to do that maybe would get them outside of their comfort zone. Uh, Cause you know, you in, in, in class uh, for, for those who 
don't know, we, we did a project where we got outside of our comfort zone. And so what were some things that you would encourage people to do to maybe get them outside of their comfort zone? Do what works for you. And I say do what works for you um, because getting out of your comfort zone may be going to an actual event, connecting Mm -hmm. with people in a human space for me, energy um, and connecting with other human beings uh, is something that 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 I prefer. But I know for others that may be especially introverts that may not be, you know, their jam. Mm-hmm. So we have, I mean, there's podcasts. I could go on a deep dive on YouTube, looking at interviews and series. Um, you know, um, there are books or audible that can educate you on something or a topic. But then once you do that first step, continue to, to delve into it more. Mm-hmm. I will find a documentary, for example, um, when they see us, that's on uh, Netflix, the docu series about the Exonerated Five. Now um, they were then called the Central Park Five. I was a young girl when that happened, so I I, I had no reference of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took me watching that five part series to then say, "Oh my gosh, all this happened while I was a little girl." So now I follow them on social media. I'm a part of their, you know, like I see how they're continuing to advocate. So whatever you do, you take it a step farther. If I look at a documentary um, or a movie that's based on a real life story, I know everything in that movie is not real. So now let me buy the book mm. or let me follow that person on social media and see if they're going to be have a lecture series um, or doing a book tour. But it's a chance for me to continue to learn about that topic, about that period, about that era. Um, and that's, For me, honestly, that kind of is what connected me to my area that I focused on for my dissertation. It just started with me doing some stuff on social media and seeing how society really talked about uh, Michelle Obama, some of the harsh, mean criticisms of her and um, just kind of going from there. And so, yeah, so, you know, do. Find, find your jam of what works for you, but don't stop at that. Continue to be a, a it's all about being a lifelong learner. Yes, mm-hmm. you're in school. Yes, it's doing those papers. Yes, it's studying for those exams, showing up for class. Why did you have a class at eight o'clock in the morning? I don't know. <laughs> yes, it's about, but, but do what feeds your soul, what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. So whether or not it's, it could be, you know, taking a look and you wanting to to learn more about mega churches and follow you know, CC Winans. And so you might subscribe to her YouTube channel. You know, that's what I do for Sarah Jakes Roberts. Mm. Um, I listened to one of her books, one of her first books. And I was like, oh my gosh. And she, she's T.D. Jakes daughter. And I was like, oh my gosh, she has a phenomenal story. And so now I follow her podcast. Now I follow her, her on YouTube. And so, you know, it's like her continual teachings and sermons. It's, it's that pep talk I need because she gets me as a black woman. And her mm. story is, you know, to be a teen mom, you know, like, wow. But look at her now, you know, so that's, yeah. that's it. so yeah, do something, find your jam, but continue to kind of learn about it. Cause that's what helps break up those myths, those stereotypes, help you build your uh, convictions, help you build your confidence to know um, about certain topics and to be the expert as it relates to, 
whatever it is. If you want to be an expert about the Kardashian family, you know it because you've done your research. You got out of, out of your comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be that is something else. That would be, that would be uh, that'd be something that'd be something else to to do that. Uh, but I, you know, um, I think about just sort of in closing and, and talking about heaven um, and just thinking about there have been backlash, um, not backlash, but things have about Mavericks, Mav City, Maverick City music. Yes. And, but I, when I, when I watch their videos and their music, I love to see their, it, I mean, I love to see it because it, it truly seems like this is what heaven will be like because it's not just one race. It's not just a white male getting up there and singing a solo. It's not, it's everyone coming together and realizing that, um, you know, singing and being together is such a powerful thing. You know, if you want, if, if you want to maybe speak into that just a little bit, um, if you want to, I don't know if you have anything, but maybe you want to speak in a little bit, a little bit. Um, I guess what, anything in particular or what? Oh, no, I, I just, I didn't know if you had anything. Um, I tend to do that. I tend to just throw stuff out there. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but I, I think, I, I, I guess a, one question is is that as we sing as we sing especially in the church what does it look like to because i think of a song you're my brother you, this song we will stand it's such a declaration you're my brother you're my sister won't you take me by the hand as long as there's love we will stand we sing that like in unity services and we sing that in times but and i guess we've sort of talked about it before but what does it, that look like to practically be like, okay, you're, you're my brother and you're my sister. So what does that mean to take people by the hand on a day-to-day -day basis? Does that make sense? It does. It does. It does. And I, that, I it, hearing you say that and say those lyrics made me think of something that I learned in chorus. Now I cannot sing to save my soul, <laughs> but I love singing. Yeah, I remember one of my chorus teachers telling us, like when we were learning the lyrics, um, she made us recite the lyrics, but listen to the lyrics so we could mean what we're singing. And since then, I've always become a, a lyricist. Like I love to read the lyrics to a song. Mm. So when it's, and I think we're all guilty of this, we may sing a hymn. We don't know the words. We just... <laughs> mouthing it or humming it but yeah. sometimes it's that sitting with that hymn and really reading it um you know for me um i so on full full transparency on last night i found out that one of my undergraduate professors passed away um unexpectedly in her early 60s and the first, as I was thinking about her legacy, the first class I took from her was the intro to social work course. Mm. And that was the very first course that I taught when I returned to the classroom as a professor. 
And the only, the, the, the lyric that stood out to me was hold to God's unchanging hand. And it's the, the first line, time is filled with swift transition. Mm-hmm. Eight-year-old me, 16-year-old me, mm-hmm. maybe even 32-year-old me did not understand what was meant by time is filled with swift transition until now. Now I find myself saying it. Instead of saying time doesn't wait for anyone. Instead, I typically say time is filled with swift transition. And that's that full circle moment. So when you, so I say all of that to say, we have to be more intentional to sit with the meaning of those words and not just say it to say it, Mm. but even in a church where we're talking about racial reconciliation and you may sing, we shall overcome as the hymn of the day or whatever it is. What does it mean to overcome? What do you see in your head of mm. what overcoming looks like? So if you can envision it, and I think that's what takes those lyrics from that paper. And when you start to envision it, when you feel it, that's where the worship begins. Mm. That's where the praise and the thanks come in because this is really hitting. And then it gives you your purpose. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I, you know, granted, like you said, Maverick City and the, the controversy that comes up with it, I think about when Kirk Franklin first came out, mm. uh, you know, they all, you, you always beat up on those large group, the, the mega church that goes in from the tradition. Mm-hmm. But if you think about what they're singing, they're still singing the hymns, but they're doing it in a relatable way. Yes. And they're worshiping in a way that it connects and resonates with their age group or what they need to minister. Yeah. And as long as you're doing that and making those connections and not creating anything endangering or a cult, then you are good to go. Yes. Dr. Slade, thank you so much for your time today. Um, thank you. I know you probably had to, or you probably had it a little earlier. You had to miss Chick-fil-A though. And so thank you so much for taking this time out and, and doing this. Um, such an honor. Thank you. Same here. Same here. Yes. Yeah, so, um, Thank you so much, and you have a great day. You too. Thank you so much. Yes.